1: And deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host,
2: Mike Peck! The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a huge and festive edition of Between the Links. As you can see, I am in the spirit and... Uh, I'm probably in the least amount of spirit once you see what the competitors are wearing. But we are in the, s- the final, semi-final matchup of this BTL Championship Tournament. Several weeks have gone by. Several matchups have taken place. We have one finalist. His name is Jed Mishu. He punched his ticket to the championship match on last week's show. He wants to reclaim his undisputed title, and he prefers to do it against the woman who has defeated him on multiple occasions on this program. He may get that chance, or... The ultimate underdog. Everybody's favorite dog could emerge to spoil the plans. We get a big week on the show, a big week in combat sports. We had a pretty exciting weekend last weekend, so there's a lot happening. So let's get into this thing and introduce the participants first. The aforementioned underdog, the aforementioned potential spoiler. He's been making strong moves on this program, his last few appearances. Does he have some more left in the tank? From MMAFighting.com, the co-host of on to the next one and the MMA Fighting Ranking Show, the very festive Mr. Alexander Kayley. Look at this ensemble. How are you?
3: Uh, I am doing great. Listen, uh, I apologize ahead of time. Uh, I hope I'm not deducted a point because I was informed that today's battle would have to be waged in an ugly Christmas sweater. I started off with a sweater. I added the suspenders and I added a little festive tie here. I'll stand up so I we'll get a bit of a better look. <laughs> Uh, That's amazing, and the and the more I added on, the better it looked. So I apologize uh, if it, I, I look fantastic as opposed to ugly Christmas as we were supposed to do. Uh, no there's nothing that can be done about it. I
2: just I just look good. I can no longer focus on this program, AK. I just cannot get this this wardrobe <laughs> out of my mind. You look like a million dollars, and uh, we have to introduce his opponent. And let's to, to be honest, the reason why we're all wearing holiday garb, and the reason why I probably have to go and buy a holiday sweater in the next week or so, but she is undefeated on this program. She has been nicknamed terms such as the boogie woman, the undertaker, and she might be able to get back in there next week and shut Jed Mishu up again, which is not an easy task. So let us welcome back the great Phoenix Caravalli to the program. How are you, Phoenix? Look at that Christmas sweater.
4: I've got to say that I find your lack of cheer disturbing.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> and, and Alex K. Lee is bringing out Phoenix's dark side. Call it Dark Phoenix. Call it Darth Phoenix. Either way, <laughs> you have brought out my dark side. You are no longer the Prince of Positivity, Alex. We're going in today.
3: Wow. Well, I heard. Okay. I heard. I heard. I was already uh, not the Prince of Positivity. Someone told me, Phoenix. Some, a little bird, one of my many Instagram followers, told me that. Uh, you you had during your appearance on UFC uh, Unfiltered with Matt Serra, yes, that you you called him the Prince of Positivity or something to that no. effect. What's that about?
4: I did oh. not call Matt what? Serra the Prince of Positivity. What? I called Glover Teixeira the Prince of Positivity because oh. I was very high off of that win that week, and I think just talking to you all the time kept the term in my head, and it just slipped right out. So obviously, you've been in my head before. That means I oh, was Ren free for the moment.
2: rent free. <laughs> rent free. I, I, All right. I think we might have to invite Glover to share on the show just to go up. Now I want a piece of him. The title of Prince of Positivity. He's a UFC champion. Doesn't he, he have it.
3: enough? Doesn't he have enough? <laughs> He's universally beloved. Does he not have enough?
2: Well, we shall see. Some things to think about in 2022. But let's get into this thing and talk some mixed martial arts with – so much going on this week. It was a very memorable weekend this past weekend. That's how we're going to start off the first half of this program. And Bellator is actually going to win the pony this week and kick things off because Sergio Pettis made his first title defense against Kyoji Horiguchi this past Friday night at Mohegan Sun Arena in beautiful and scenic Uncasville, Connecticut. Kyoji Horiguchi, of course, was the former champion. He had to vacate the title due to an injury and through three rounds of this fight, It was going the way a lot of people thought it was going to go. Horiguchi dominated. He was up all three rounds easily. This was no dispute whatsoever. And then spinning back fist out of nowhere from Sergio Pettis. Horiguchi is unconscious and Sergio Pettis retains his title. AK, let us begin with you. What was your biggest takeaway from that knockout? And what I mean by that is, was this something that Maybe you learned more from Pettis. Maybe you learned something more from Horiguchi. Was it a year-end awards type of thought? Like, what was your initial takeaway and your biggest takeaway from that finish? Man, I almost feel like it didn't answer the questions that I wanted answered.
3: Uh, if anyone listened Mike, to our MMA Fightings ranking show, there was a bit of a kerfuffle about why Mr. Horiguchi and why Mr. Pettis were not higher on on my rankings. Uh, I, I I have uh, I had Pettis unranked going in, and I had Horiguchi uh, somewhere 13, 14, 15, somewhere near the bottom. I, I know, blasphemous to, to uh, hardcore fans, fans who refuse to, you know, revolve their universes around the UFC. I'm not like that, I swear. I just had my reasons for not ranking them higher. And then I was watching the fight, Horoguchi's dominating. And then suddenly I'm thinking, okay, this, this is answering th- some things for me. Horoguchi is probably going to win a decision. I will bump him up into the top 10, maybe even higher. We'll see. I don't know what this says about young Pettis. But, you know, he's he's just simply facing a great fighter in Horoguchi. I don't know if this dings him that much. Suddenly, everything turns around. And I'm not going to call the shot a fluke because the shot takes a lot of skill to hit. We know him and his brother Anthony train that stuff. All that wild spinning stuff. This is this is a Pettis trademark. Uh, and yes, Sergio is not known for his one shot knockout power. So in that aspect, it was shocking. But knowing how talented he is, when it happened, it was it was insanely surprising. And then now that we look back, we've had a few days to start to adjust it. We're like, man, that kid is good. So so for me, it it, it unfortunately did not answer uh, whether you know Sergio is definitively better than Horaguchi. Is Sergio Pettis a top 10 bantamweight, a top 5 bantamweight? Honestly, it, I, it didn't help me to figure that out. I, I know other people might have the opposite reaction. This might have been the performance that they needed, or sorry, at least a finish that they needed to see to put him in that upper echelon. But for me, I'm just saying I'm lucky that uh, that you know Bellator is setting something up that maybe we see a rematch between the two down the road, uh, or either way, a chance for both guys to stack up their resumes at 135 pounds. So... On for me, didn't really answer much, but uh, what a moment it was.
2: Phoenix, what did you think? What was the first thing that popped into your head? What was and has been the biggest takeaway since Friday night?
4: I think this is one of the first times that me and the Prince of Positivity don't see eye to eye. Um, I think I learned a tremendous amount from Sergio Pettis, and I learned a tremendous amount about Horiguchi in this fight. I learned how much of a martial artist— Pettis's, and I learned how much of an athlete Horiguchi is, especially coming back after all those injuries and coming back dominant until, you know, he wasn't, until that, that spinning back fist combination. So when I talk about Sergio Pettis as a martial artist, there's a couple principles that him and Anthony have in their background, and their back pocket, that answer a lot of questions, that answer what kind of champion mindset that Sergio has to have. And it brings, you know, I'm gonna wax poetic a little bit, brings me back to my traditional martial arts background, but the resiliency of both both Pettis's, both Anthony and Sergio. And I know that Sergio is a completely different person. This is his time. He's come out of the shadows of, of his older brother. But one thing that makes me think of the similarity here is how bad Anthony was losing to Wonder Boy. Remember, Wonderboy was throwing that like lightning jab. And out of nowhere, Anthony just throws that Superman punch from off the cage and wins that fight. And what it shows me is that they're not broken mentally when they're being broken down physically. They're mentally still very much in the game. They know how they have this traditional, you know, spinny, flashy power technique from their martial arts background that they can pull out of their back pocket when they need it. And Sergio certainly needed it in that moment. And what it taught me as a martial artist, it reminded me that you fight how you train because we've seen the videos of him drilling that technique, which is very impressive to me. And that if you're not broken mentally, you can still be dangerous physically. And he was still dangerous. You couldn't count him out because he kept that focus and that championship spirit. And also, Horiguchi is still a damn beast and he's still fun to watch.
2: So both of you said some things that stick out and I want to go back to you, Phoenix, because you see things through different lenses than a lot of the fans do. I think that's pretty fair to say. And Pettis was in kind of a tough spot heading into this fight because he beat Juan Archuleta. Great performance. They book him with Horiguchi and not a lot of people... Fans especially gave him the credit of being the actual champion. He was more the the placeholder. And even Pettis was saying that himself. Like, I don't feel like I'm the actual champion because Horiguchi never actually lost the belt. Now, while this knockout was incredibly memorable and will be mentioned in a lot of people's awards, Phoenix, outside of that one moment being replayed over and over until there is no more Bellator MMA, Does Sergio enter this Bantamweight Grand Prix that we're going to talk about in a moment in a similar spot where fans of MMA, who could be as fickle as any sports fan on earth, they won't view him as the best in this division, as the champion, because of how the first three rounds went?
4: I think that's why this is a very cool thing for Sergio's legacy as well, because the more opponents he faces and the more eyes that are going to be on him, because there's going to be more eyes on Bellator... Coming in the next year than there has been in a long time because of how much we're talking about this tournament. So in a way, it could be really good for him because with different matchups. Because listen, Horaguchi is a problem for anybody, anybody, anybody who's watched his career knows that. So it's it's very very hard to judge. And you've got a lot of people on this card that make great matchups. Patchy mix is a great matchup for anybody uh when you when you look at Archuleta. I know that. Per, uh, had to speed him, but seeing how he matches up with other people in the division and what he can do, everybody, including myself, are high on Rafion Stotts. How are you not high on Rafion Stotts? I remember him from the LFA days. And in the LFA days, my favorite division was the Bantamweights. It, I used to talk about it on every show. Um, so there's just so many cool uh, different combinations here that watching what sergio can do against these other type of fighters and what they have to offer can really answer a lot of questions for us but i just want to put a stamp on the fact that horiguchi is going to be a problem for for everybody but how fi- how fun would Horaguchi versus thoughts be
2: what do you think ak i talked to i, I won't even reveal that uh, I, i'll just say it i talked to danny sabatello uh he's a bellator bantamweight came in on less than a week's notice and beat brett johns who just got signed from the ufc He's pretty upset that he didn't get added to this tournament. We'll weigh more on his thoughts in a moment. But what do you think about what the weight Sergio has to carry into this Grand Prix? Like he feels like he's done enough. But when he shows up to that Bellator Media Day before his first Grand Prix fight, you know those questions are going to come. About whether or not do you do you actually feel like you're the champion? Do you know that fans are saying that they don't feel like you're the champion? That Horiguchi is still better than you. Like, do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, do you feel like that's something he's that, that's a burden that he's gonna have to carry into this Grand Prix because of yeah. the first but, three rounds? Mike, as we
3: all know, uh, Phoenix is an educated person, uh, uh, both in uh, you know her media abilities and also uh, having trained as an untrained, out of shape media member. Uh, as a proud (laughs) ninth ninth degree black belt keyboard warrior. uh, And uh, yes, a a troll whisperer, as I like to call myself, because I did, unfortunately, uh, saw a lot of the reactions at Horaguchi's loss. A lot of people saying, it's it's like they they reacted like the rest of the fight didn't happen. Um, And I don't know. And in some ways that's good for Sergio Pettis. In some ways it's not good. Obviously it's good in the fact that if people just look at the knockout, if they're just reading a Wikipedia entry, they just see, Fourth round KO for uh, spinning by spitting stuff for Sergio Pettis. This guy must be great. On the other hand, if you again, if you don't know the whole story of that fight, it kind of takes away from the finish uh, because you have to know what a great comeback it was, and kind of as Phoenix mentioned, how not how, how he was able to stay in there mentally and eventually land an insane strike. But again, if you're speaking for the trolls out there, there is I'm sure there's a segment that's like, why didn't he do that in the first round? He should, he should have thrown the spinning backfist thing in the first round. Then uh, he wouldn't have you know, he wouldn't even gotten banged up at all. So uh, I think he does need this tournament. I think the same, uh, not the same questions, I shouldn't say. Different questions though are going to be there about how great he is as a bantamweight. Again, th- like I said uh, at the beginning, sort of the first uh, part of the segment, I-, I still needed to see things answered. And the ban- the bantamweight division is so strong. It's It just doesn't feel like he'd be the heavy favorite in any of these matchups, whether it's Stotts, uh, a rematch with uh, maybe a rematch with Archuleta, he would be. But other than that, uh, Michael Medoff, he'd pre- probably be an underdog. Um, uh, James Gallagher, he'd probably be a favorite. patchy Mix, I don't know, could be about even. There's a vulnerability to him that is intriguing, but is also, as we're as we're talking about, it's going to lead to all these questions and him having to keep answering until he wins the tournament, until he possibly fights Foraguchi again. And imagine if Foraguchi, if they're on opposite sides and doesn't make it to the end of the bracket, there's still going to be that doubt in people's minds: Is he that much superior? To, uh, to Kyoji Horiguchi. So, uh, again, the tournament is a great idea, but I don't feel that him just winning that, uh, beating Horiguchi and him just being the number one seed, I don't think the questions are over yet. Uh, and, that, and for Bellator's sake, that actually might be a good thing.
2: So we'll dive into this Grand Prix announcement in a moment, but I just want to say beforehand, there's a reason why the MMA fighting staff talks about our rankings with such passion because I'm about to call out some media members right now. Whoever is on this Bellator rankings panel, there has been a lot of egregious stuff that have come up in these rankings since the rankings inception, especially in the women's divisions. There have been some pretty awful rankings. But having Kyoji Horiguchi ranked number seven is on the Mount Rushmore of egregious decisions in the history of MMA rankings. Number seven in Bellator No disrespect, but you're telling me that there's, including Sergio Pettis, seven fighters that are that should be ranked higher than Kyoji Horiguchi. That is awful. That is awful. And if you're on that rankings panel and you're upset, I don't care. That is horrible. Number seven, this guy should be number one or number two with a bow on. Are you kidding me right now? This is it's awful. But be that as it may we now have this Grand Prix coming up in 2022. We got Pettis, Horiguchi, James Gallagher, Leandro Ego, Magomed Magomedov, Mix, Rafian Starts, and and Juan Archuleta. So AK, Animate was clearly the way to go for Bellator. But did they get this right? The field of names, the amount of fighters in the tournament, did they nail this?
3: Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, I know Josh Hill is saying that he wants to be in there after that that big KO. And of course, as we've mentioned, Danny Sabatello... Very nice upset over uh, over Brett Johns. Uh, put him on the map, but he does only have the one fight in Bellator. It's kind of understandable, uh, you know. Uh, uh, I li- I like the lineup. I'm, again, they just pretty much went with their rankings. Uh, uh, this is one, like you said, the champion plus one to seven. Um, so it's good. At least they're respecting their own rankings, as uh, not credible as they may be, as in regards to how high Horikuchi is uh, or, and how much higher he should be. Um, but yeah, no, I think the field is great. I think you've got the right mix of guys they've already built up, like uh, Apache Mix, Archuleta, uh, uh, guys that I feel like are still waiting to get that turn, like uh, uh, Fion- Rofion Stotts and uh, Michael Medov. James Gallagher-, James Gallagher had to be in there, very popular. Uh, very polarizing. Higo probably the lowest uh you know wattage name out of there, but he's been hanging around Bellator for a while. He's been in a bunch of big fights for Bellator again. So a guy they kind of already invested in. Um someone who's a tough out, someone who, again, probably not the favorite to win the tournament, um, but someone who whoever he faces in the first round uh is, is, is gonna have a heck of a fight. So yeah, I love what they did here. Uh you really couldn't go wrong with 135. I'm glad they sort of heard the buzz it's not just us at this point everyone talks about how you know the default answer used to be 155 click far and away um the best division in in mma it's still one of the strongest divisions but bantamweight at least in the past couple of years has had a little more buzz a little more movement a little bit uh a little bit more uh, people coming into the division and and, like juicing it up um internationally of course spectacular uh the fact that there's so many great bantamweights outside the ufc is always is always uh, helpful when making that argument so yeah i mean look they they nailed this uh i'd love to see my fellow canadian josh hill in there but the fact that he's clearly been designated as an alternate is very helpful i think sabatello also sort of unofficially will be an alternate you can bet the, uh, he'll be the first one they call i'm sure they'll give him another fight you know somewhere in between there anyway and uh, should he win that it'll be indis- indisputable that he's worthy of, of one of those reserve shots but kudos to bellator and uh, and their matchmaking team i think this bracket is good the question is uh, how are they going to seed them that's that's what i really want to know
2: yeah, that, that's going to be interesting. So, going back to that Savatello chat, which by the time you're watching this, that chat has been aired on We Got Next. Savatello, like, again, he understands why he's not in it. He only had the one fight. He tried to, he was booked for a second fight. He got COVID, so he was pulled, and he wasn't able to be rebooked for the rest of the year. So, his thought was, even if you think 16 fighters is too much, maybe you do 12. Like, the first, the the... Pettis and like the one, two and three ranked guys get a buy into the next round. And then you have the other eight fighters battle it out and go from there and just do like a 12 man tournament and do it that way. That way you can insert more names. You don't have to worry about alternates, but you could still have some other guys because I mean, Darren Caldwell could fight in this tournament as well. Did they get this right? Was was eight the right number or should they gone should they have gone a little deeper, especially when you're saying when Scott is saying the winner of this tournament is the best bantamweight weight in the world. Oh, that's Are for me. You asking me? That's for Phoenix. Yes, I'm sorry. Okay, yes, yeah. Oh,
4: um, well, one, I just want to uh, say it, I really enjoy watching you get fired up, Mike. That was that was <laughs> yeah. very entertaining, and oh. I appreciated every moment of that. And I and I get it. You know, Horaguchi has been inactive in Bellator, so that's probably why he's in seven. But it is, I think, a lot of people were like, "Wait, what?" Uh, Yes, Bellator definitely did get this right, and I think eight is the right type of thing because there's a Bruce Lee quote I love so much, which is, a good fight is like a small play, but played seriously. And like any great theater, there needs to be understudies. So a lot of these guys, maybe two or three, should Bellator might have a conversation with them and say, with COVID going around and all of these things going around, we're going to have alternates, whether they publicly state that, which would make it somewhat of a 10, 12 guys with buys and all that type of stuff, like traditional tournament styles that might be there. It just might not be like the thing that's on the posters and uh, eight looks right on the posters and for marketing and for scheduling and blah, blah, blah. Because remember like any promotional type of thing, theater, plays, movies, fights, There's the right number, the right amount, the right name to market it, who looks good on the poster. And eight seems to be the magic number here with some understudies ready to play if it happens, if need be.
2: Well, I mean, the the beauty of this division and this sort of Grand Prix is that you could do eight, you could do 12, you could do 16, and it doesn't matter because it's going to be very exciting. Bantamweight rules mm-hmm. no matter which division it is and uh, or, or how many fighters are in it. So I'm excited for it. Eight fighters, 12, 16, 24, it doesn't really matter. I'm excited for it, much like the rest of this matchup. But the point for round one goes to... Darth Cannavale. It is one to nothing.
0: (laughs) The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down.
2: And sticking at weight for a couple moments. How about Jose Aldo? I mean, if if you're a fighter right now coming up in the sport and you're not looking to Jose Aldo and what he's done over the last year and a half or so for motivation or some sort of like mental guidance, you are doing yourself a massive disservice. Although headlines UFC Vegas 44 this past Saturday night comes in as an underdog against a very very good fighter in Rob Font. Aldo does a lot of damage in this fight when it counts. He hurt Font multiple times, had a lot of control on the ground when he needed it. And I said this on, on to the next one. Not only did Aldo beat a really good fighter, but he also thought to himself, Self, how can I help this community? I'm gonna compete in a fight where I can teach these viewers how fights in modern MMA are supposed to be judged. And that's what we got. Rob Font landed the more strikes. Rob Font statistically outstruck Jose Aldo by a wide margin, but Aldo landed when it counted. He hurt Font many times, and that's why Jose Aldo won this fight. He's a legend. He is a top five all-time in my eyes, pound for pound, and he has now won three in a row in a loaded UFC bantamweight division. Phoenix, what did you make of Jose Aldo's performance on Saturday?
4: Well, I think that sometimes as media members, we don't know it all because I remember when Jose Aldo dropped down and we were terrified. Terrified, I tell you, because when we looked at him and he was gaunt and gray-looking and dehydrated, we were like, no, not our Jose Aldo. We love him dearly. We don't want to see him go out uh, weight-cutting like this. He looked like E.T. at the end of the movie when the scientists are probing him. I was terrified. (laughs) And now here he is, looking like Jose Aldo that we've loved for so many years. And it's just damn impressive. The beautiful techniques of that, like when he slips to the side and throws that body shot right behind the elbow is one of the most Jose Aldo things in the world. The crispiness of the one-two down the middle. Talk about damage that you could see Rob Font was hurt with those one-twos down the middle that were just like long, rangy, crispy like a bucket of chicken every boxing analogy you want to say about the beauty of those one twos it was just just impressive to watch and and so is Rob Font how do you leave that fight not saying like wow he's a super talented guy too and if he's like any of these these other young fighters when they first start off that they fight these legends and then they wind up getting better because they absorb some of those techniques they learn from they learn from the person that they fought like, I actually saw Font in the fourth round do that slip and then do the the body shot behind the elbow, and I was like, okay, okay. So I don't think this really hurts Font. I think it sets him back, and it thrusts Jose Aldo forward, which is crazy, and it shows how much of life and circumstances is based on timing. So what's going to happen with, with this championship, with Jan, with Aljo, Who's who's next? How does this line up? Do we get Dillashaw versus Aldo? Who the hell doesn't want that? Tell me if you don't want it. I don't know why you wouldn't. So I just think it was impressive. And uh, anybody who's not seen Jose Aldo when he was, you know, on his tear and on his run might be seeing him with these eyes for the first time. And like, wow, what a complete and totally amazing martial artist.
2: AK, you remember not too long ago, Jose Aldo is getting knocked out in just a matter of seconds by Conor McGregor. Then he fights Max Holloway twice and gets finished. He's got no cardio. He's got no chin. The guy's falling apart. Then as Phoenix said, he goes to 135. We're like, no, don't you dare do it. You're never going to make weight. You could barely make 145. Loses in his first bantamweight fight tomorrow. Mariah's super close fight. I think a lot of people scored it for Aldo. Fights Piotr Jan. It is competitive for like the first two rounds. And then Jan starts to take over, finishes Aldo in the fifth. Oh, he's done. He'll never get back to a title fight. And now look at him, AK. Now look what we're seeing. This fight against Rob Font. And by the way, Rob Font landed some damage and Jose Aldo was wearing it. Neither one of those guys made it to the media tent. They they both got transported. So that says a lot about the hearts of both of these guys. But for Aldo in particular, AK, I mean, what did you make of those 25 minutes? I just love, Mike, that this is back-to-back segments that we're talking about, the weights, talking about, again,
3: the most elite division uh, that just keeps delivering in different ways. And and again, this this, this fight was memorable and appealing in a very different way than the uh, Horiguchi-Pettis matchup was. But yeah, as someone who's who's a huge, huge fan of Jose Aldo, someone, as you said, who believes he is one of the five pound-for-pound best, one of the greatest mixed martial artists we've ever seen – it's such a treat and, and a pleasant surprise, but in some ways also very affirming of what we knew he was capable of, because once we got past sort of the the gruesome reality of the weight cut, I mean, again, this was a guy who at 145 was occasionally seen getting to the scale and just like just like miserable, face down on the scale and, we're, and who who, at that moment, would have thought, yeah. This is the guy I want to see cut another 10 pounds. Um, but once we got over that, sort of the, the shock value of that, we sort of saw his potential at 135. He looked great against Mom Marais, didn't get the decision. Uh, he looked very good in his Piotr Jan for most of that fight and, of course, lost to a younger and, 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 at this point in their careers, better fighter. Piotr Jan is great. But then the matchmaking was really sharp. When he got matched up with Chido Vera, I think there was a lot of people who were still picking Aldo. It, this, this was not the sense of, okay, well, they're just using Aldo as a stepping stone for this guy, uh, for, for Cheeto Vera to come up. I mean, that could happen, but that's not the sole purpose of this fight. Jose Aldo has a very good chance of winning that fight, and he did. Same with uh, Pedro Munoz, and same with Rob Font. Um, I, I, I'm sure uh, I'd have to look at the odds. Aldo was probably the underdog in all those matchups, but given what we said, it wasn't like he was some crazy, like, two-to-one, three-to-one underdog. It was just, you know, we thought these are, these are guys with... Uh, I don't want to say less mileage because these are some pretty experienced fighters. I mean, Rob Font only a year younger than him, um, but guys who I guess I guess we haven't felt had their run at the top like him, and, and it was their time mm-hmm. to beat him. But what? But again, we know what we saw in the Moraes fight. We know what we saw in the Yan fight, and then when we with every win, we're like, man, this is really this is real. This this is a very very real run. Um, so this it was very affirming to see him beat Rob Font again, a, a great fighter, and and when both fighters look good, it only makes Aldo look better because. Look, uh, they've rematched. Who knows? Rob Font could, could take it. But in this first meeting between the two, the guy who we know, again, is a legend. He's just got a little bit more experience, a little more big fight experience, uh, is the guy who came out ahead. And, and that was just so enjoyable to watch as a fan. Uh, and what a way to start this, this holiday season. It made me feel warm inside, Mike.
2: <laughs> <laughs> as you know, AK, you were there. The way I match made for Aldo was the same way everybody else did. But I had a little caveat to mine. It's the TJ Dillashaw fight because that's the fight that needs to be made in the current landscape of this division. But we all know that TJ Dillashaw at times is not the greatest person to deal with. He likes to put his feet in the sand and he has been saying that my next fight will be for the Bantamweight title. Of course, things have changed. Al Sterling has been hurt. We had an interim title that we don't know when that fight's going to happen. We're hoping sometime in the spring for the undisputed title Dillashaw was hurt, had the surgery. We don't know exactly when he's coming back. But if TJ Dillashaw is offered this Jose Aldo fight and he decides, hey, this is where I'm taking a stand. I'm fighting for the title next or I ain't fighting. The UFC has enough beasts in this division to say, all right, don't fight. Have fun not fighting. We'll give it to Jose Aldo. You're the next man up, sir. That's how I would do it personally. So let me phrase it like this, AK. I know like when we're picking fights, sometimes we're like, my heart says this, but my head says this. We're going with your head here. True or false. Jose Aldo will fight for the UFC Banamoy title in 2022. You're darn tootin' Will, Mike. Uh, I At this point, given, given
3: – pardon my language. Pardon my language. This is a, it's a kid's show, right? You can, you can, you can uh, edit that out and post. Pardon my language. Uh, at this point, the way the the, the top of uh, Bantamweight is currently sort of settled or not settled, as it were, because we are waiting for, um, again, some pieces to potentially come back. We don't know how long they'll be out. Uh, and also given Aldo's run of success, given uh, how Jan's fights have gone and, and how the rest of the the top ten is kind of shaking out right now, I will now be surprised if we do not see Aldo uh, fight for the title and probably rematch on. Like I said, as far as we know, that could be the next fight uh, depending what's going on with Dillashaw, depending what's going on with Sterling, how long Jan wants to wait. It's, it's certainly conceivable. Uh, again, Sterling could be ready. He's doing a lot of trolling with how long his injury might take. And I'm sure he's, he's in no rush back. He is technically the undisputed champion. Um, but at some point he is going to want to fight again and, and, and sort of silence, uh, to silence the haters uh in regards to that first yawn fight but but as it is uh, uh should should sterling and dillashaw not be ready how can you not give aldo the title shot uh, the first fight was great again very memorable i hope people go back and watch it again i think at the time because he was coming off the Morais loss and because he um you know he seemed to fade sort of in the later rounds at the time who were viewing it as the end now they realize that it's just him facing a great fighter and a second fight hey maybe it would go exactly the same but i think this guy has done more than enough in his career, Jose Aldo, and more than enough in his past three fights to earn another shot. Uh, and really, wh- who doesn't want to see two of the best? Uh, and I'll say I'll say this now, I think Jan will end up being one of the best of all time go another, potentially another 25 minutes or, you know, however many more minutes this time. Uh, I- I'm down for it. This will happen. I don't know if it's in the first quarter of 2022. I don't know if it, it gets delayed to the summer for whatever reason. they got to see what's going on with Sterling and Dillashaw. But uh, I think even if one of them gets a shot first, Aldo will still be in that picture, and he will challenge either either uh, Jan or Sterling for the bandwagon championship.
2: Phoenix, will the year of our Lord 2022 feature a world championship fight inside the hallowed UFC octagon involving Jose Aldo?
4: Well, like I said earlier, so much of what happens in this game, whether it be luck or not luck, has to do with timing and the way things line up. You know, it's an unfortunate truth about life, but it is a truth about life. And it's the same for if you're injured, if you're out and they're filling a slot and and a championship needs to happen, then the person ready, waiting and available will get that opportunity. And if Aldo is, then that's a strong possibility. And I really want to think that maybe we have the PI to thank, right, for a certain extent, for giving more longevity to a lot of these fighters, for helping them with these weight cuts, but I also want to think that some mentally, uh, mentally, maybe Aldo's a lot stronger because he was somewhat of a, he had issues after the Connor fight, as anyone would, losing to someone that you hate that much. And then the volume of Max Holloway, like there's a lot of things that Jose Aldo had to recover from. And now that he's fresh and maybe has his passions back. It might be a slightly different fight with him and Peter Jan if that is the matchup that does happen. But I still think it's really, really hard to beat Jan. I mean, I I won't say the same if he does wind up, based off the timing, fighting Aljamain. I just think that we have so many questions about Aljo because the Jan fight was not going well and because he's had surgeries and injuries. So, of course, course his talent isn't current in mind, but obviously we know it's there. But I don't know. It's a possibility we could see Aldo, especially with this newfound passion, mindset, energy, focus, whatever it is, against Jan. But I I think uh, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to beat Jan, but it would be fun.
2: Now, last thing before we move on to this weekend, because on last week's show, there's so much to talk about, and we kind of ignored the co-main event of this of this card. Like, we talked about it just without having points involved. Like, Jed brought it up, and we waxed politically about Raphael Fazeev versus Brad Riddell, but... Raphael Fazeev, we're going to give him a little bit of a rub here because I think he deserves it. He's now the number 11 ranked lightweight in the world. I know that actually upset some folks, most notably Faziv's manager, Daniel Rubenstein. He thought number 11 was ridiculous. But either way, Fazeev's stock rose tremendously on Saturday, ended with that spinning wheel kick knockout. But the ranking got me thinking, Phoenix. How high is the ceiling of raphael faziv is this is this guy in your mind? could you see him fighting for a world title sooner rather than later? Like is he one of those guys to you?
4: Yeah, he's one of those next generation guys. In terms of being impressive, in terms of being fun and marketable, and everybody loves lightweight. But you know what's happening there right now is like the, the same killers are going after each other, and like what's the lifespan for a lot of th- that situation? I think Oliveira definitely has a longer lifespan, maybe than Poirier if he wins does. And I just think that you know, it's, you know he has nothing to prove really. He's just he's already the, the BMF, the unofficial BMF in a lot of ways. Right? Right. And but he just wants that championship belt. And then maybe he would it one time. So there's going to be a lot of moving parts within that division. And these are the guys that are they're up and coming. I mean, if you weren't impressed by him in this fight, everybody likes uh, Riddell and, and thought that this was a really great matchup stylistically and it was fun. But what he Rafael was doing was what was so impressive is that he would attack, but then he would counter strike. And Rodell could never get a rhythm. Like he could never get a rhythm on him. And then you also saw this incredible speed. So it's it's one of those things. Like it's it's a spinning wheel kick. What was it? Two minutes or so into the third round, I think. Right. Something like that. Yeah. I've, I'm already forgetting because there's so much going on in the MMA space, and then, like the stats, you don't know, go out of your face. But uh, it's just he's just really damn impressive and watch him climb it's it's going to be it's going to be one of those fun moments
2: where do you think his ceiling is AK? how high is (laughs) Raphael fazeev's ceiling in your mind right now i know this is a recency bias sport we just saw him get a knockout and people get excited when you see knockouts like that but fazeev's really good he's beat some really tough guys how high do you think this guy can go just based on the sample size that you've seen in the ufc thus far top five I think top five. I think that's that's where I am willing to go.
3: Uh, I am not as upset uh, as his management about uh, Fazeev not being ranked that much higher. I get it. Uh, five and zero in the UFC lightweight. Uh, sorry, uh, five and one, but five straight wins in the UFC lightweight division. Just beat a tough guy, his buddy uh, Brad Riddell. But for me, again, Riddell, Riddell is not a top ten guy. So uh, this is not a division I think where you can just leap over people just by having a win streak again you can make the, the uh makachev was the one kind of suffering from this for a while where he'd won seven straight eight straight and there was still like oh where is he sitting in the top 10 some people had already jumped him up some people were waiting for him to beat a, a top 10 guy in that case hooker uh, before advancing him and, and i think uh, fazeev's kind of in the same position you can make an argument again if you want to bump guys down like tony ferguson uh or rda i would not put them beneath uh yet and i don't think he would either he's calling for some of these names he's calling for gillespie he's calling for ferguson he's calling for an rda uh again these are all guys who i would currently at the moment have ranked ahead of him so i so if fazeev himself is kind of saying well i know i'd have some more work to be done before i'm a i'm a you know no doubt top 10 uh contender then i think we can comfortably uh say the same in agreement but as far as down the road now we're talking about how does he stack up against the Gaethje's? How does he stack up against the Dustin Poirier, Charles Oliveira, Makachev? Uh, and in that sense, again, I, I, I maybe I'm I'm selling him short. Uh, maybe I'm I'm playing this just too safe. I I don't know if he's on that level. He's got a great personality. He's very marketable, entertaining fighting style. I think he'll be a fan favorite for a long time. This is a guy who could end up with something like sixteen to twenty UFC fights. We could still be ha- we could be having a similar conversation about him. Uh, next year uh, or, or, or 18 months from now. You know, that's how talented he is, how good he is and how the ebbs and flows of his career might go because I do feel like there's room for a lot of variance. But uh, I, I am hesitant to say he could be a champion or even challenge for a title someday. Uh, again, very probably too early to predict. But if I had to, uh, you know, you put a gun to my head, I have to predict it. I think top five is, is maybe the ceiling. Uh, and, and when I say five, I mean like four, five, uh, and, and around six. I just don't know uh, if he gets title shot uh, ever becomes that guy, so I'm a huge fan. But uh, I'm I'm being a bit, you know, I'm I'm putting some coal in people's stockings for the FZ fans. I'm sorry. <laughs> Can I
4: just say something that I'm actually in big agreement with AK here, and I think that it's a good way to look at things in a lot of ways because sometimes we over, um, we we like assume that they're so good just because of their latest performance, and then we kill their their uh, their rise because people get so disappointed and they get shot down so quickly. So if we allow these guys to build our confidence in them slowly, we build bigger stars and we do this a lot. We just like go in as media. We, we highlight what somebody did and we don't allow them to build what eventually makes them crash a little bit harder. So I'm with AK. I think getting to the top five will be really important for him. And then it'll be easier to say what his ceiling is once we've seen him with heavier and hotter competition which he's willing to do
3: uh, yeah for i record, like for the for the, re- yeah. for the record uh, judges just because uh, phoenix agreed with me i, I want to know that was my point that was my point don't oh, be yeah, deceived yeah,
1: yeah. don't be
3: <laughs> ci- don't be deceived by these <laughs> tactics by this by this uh chris this holiday cheer tactics that uh oh yeah, we're just agree. No no no. no. That was a sly that was a slide trying to get in the minds of the judges. So that was that was a that was an AK Lee original point. All right, okay, let's just No, no I I okay. truly
4: agree with you right. because I always I always bitch about that that we sometimes get too high on these guys and we and we wind up knocking them down. Uh but yes, it's AK's point if that was his point.
2: Yeah, I mean listen, we're he's in a good spot right now. Like you can complain about the ranking all you want, but We're having this conversation about him right now. Like if they matched him up with Tony Ferguson for his next fight or RDA, no one would bat an eye about it. And if they matched him up with someone like Gregor Gillespie, who's ranked one spot higher than him, we'd be excited for that fight too. So anybody below Michael Chandler right now, Fazib could fight and it would make sense. So he's in a good spot no matter what his ranking is right now. We'll see what happens. There are obviously a lot of other great performances on Saturday as well kudos tip of the cap to clay guida guys an absolute animal jamal hill uh and many many more but it is time to move ahead to this weekend the ufc's final pay-per-view event of 2021 the point for round two goes to phoenix carnivale's opponent alex kaylee
4: yeah yeah
2: i (laughs) would (laughs) agree oh i can't get in the frame hold on hold on <laughs> i threw off everybody
4: i off llama? everybody because i really thought that they were reindeer but i think they're llama
2: i believe they're like they camels correct they are, they're no, are I, llamas. I, I believe they're llama wow we could dissect ak's tie for another 30 <laughs> minutes or so easily but Pretty. let's talk about ufc 260 died <laughs> this saturday in las vegas we got two title fights dustin poirier will challenge charles Oliveira. For the lightweight title in the main event, Amanda Nunes will defend her bantamweight title against Juliana Pena. And I i, I got to be honest, when I when I sent these questions to everybody, I've been thinking about a couple of sort of out of the box topics with these two fights. And we'll discuss those shortly. But AK, I want to begin with you here as we speak right now. There it is. Amanda Nunes, a minus nine hundred favorite. Pena comes back at plus six hundred according to our friends at DraftKings. No huge surprise there. Dustin Poirier, a minus 160 favorite as the challenger. Charles Oliveira, a comeback on the champ, plus 140. AK, what are the chances we have two new champions at the end of Saturday night? Uh, I'll tell you, really low, and not for the reasons people think. I mean,
3: obviously I'm going with Nunez over Peña all the way, but I'll I'll say I I think it's much more likely that we have uh, two and stills than... Uh, one new champion than even one new champion that's how far i'm going because i am tired mike you guys know everyone knows when i talk about the lightweight division i'm tired of the charles Oliveira disrespect this guy he is we should say full disclosure in the MMAfighting.com dot com global rankings the only rankings that matter dustin foray is number one so you mentioned he's the he's the, he's the odds on favorite uh, that is that goes along with our with most what most of our panel seems to believe. I believe it's six uh, of our eight panelists. I think it's six people voting uh, Poirier in first place and only two for uh, Oliveira, And obviously I'm one of them. Uh, so I'm tired of the disrespect. I, I, I'm tired of anyone thinking that he has to prove anything like he needs his Poirier win to show that he is the true king. Right now he is in, uh, removing, of course, Habib from the equation. He is the undisputed true king at 155 in the world. That that is how I feel about it. Uh Poirier has to take that and Poirier is a great fighter. Both guys are wonderful ambassadors of MMA. I don't think anyone will be disappointed with the result. I certainly won't either. As much as I'm I'm bigging up uh, Oliveira and I want to see him get the respect he deserves with uh sorry, you get even more respect that he deserves with a definitive win over Poirier. Uh I, I, I just think I just I just like his chances, uh, the champion. I just like the champion's chance of finishing, of finishing Dustin Poirier. That, that's where I am with this. And again, it's nothing against Poirier. It's, I think Charles, Avalor, it, Charles Oliveira, excuse me, is just that great. I think he's a great finisher. I think he's matured to the point where honestly, and I said this, I think after he beat, uh, the way he dominated Ferguson, and this is when, I think, when Habib was still around. I was like, I need to see those two fight. Because I do not think, uh, I need to know the answer of who's who, who would win in a fight between Oliveira and and Habib. So that's where I am. That's I'm, I'm with that. I think he's he's better than uh, Poirier. So I'm going. I'm, I'm I'm taking the question a step further, Mike. I will say again, there will be more likely be two and Stills than one and new. That's how strongly I feel about it.
2: Phoenix, what say you? What are the chances that we not have one new champion, but two new champions? And how, like AK just said, how would you weigh that against? both champions retaining
4: all right let's let's start with the main event it's very hard for me to even have any like just just any bad thing to say about Dustin Poirier like it just does it doesn't feel right but I will say this it appears that Oliveira has more ways to win right just because of what we've seen recently from him but you could never cancel Dustin Poirier out. He is a bad mother. He is one of the best we've ever seen in the history of MMA for a billion different reasons, and I don't even have to go into that. And I think that he has definitely had the tougher competition, which is why I think AK is wrong. He Oliveira does have something to prove by putting Dustin on his report card because having a win over Poirier is having a gold star on your report card because of the, the levels that Poirier has fought and the names that he's fought and how he's won. It's not to take anything away from Charles. It's just to say that like this is one of those names that definitely levels you up in people's memories. I, I just think that that's, that's what it is. I mean – and Poirier is still tough and passionate. If you watch Embedded right now from this week, the guy holding pads for Dustin is, like, terrified. <laughs> so Dustin always has that boxing and that power that we, we might see something phenomenal. So, yeah, from the looks of it, Oliveira has more ways to win, but it's just not going to come out of my mouth that Dustin Poirier could lose, just, just for me personally as a fan. Then when it comes to the co-main event, Ah, Juliana Pena. Pena. I know. I know that that one thing about her, which does add something interesting to this fight, is that she will go after Nunez. She will be prepared to clinch up well and try to control that clinch. She does just throw like a complete animal. So yeah, there's a chance for her, but it's a... That's where it is in our hearts and minds because <laughs> Nunez is a beast but we're questioning Nunez for the first time why because she's living the family life she's comfortable and it's making us think like is she not going to be as hungry and ferocious as she's been in the past but I don't know if I definitely believe that because one thing Amanda loves is smashing <laughs> In that case, she just smashes people. I realized how that first sounded and was like, I need to fix that. I need to fix that a little. So what, I, had, with, I had to like tests. add another sentence. Um, maybe she loves to smash too. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, it's it's scary for Pena, but I um, I have a lot of respect for the way she's going to approach this fight and how she's training for it.
2: All right, so I I want to go back to that co-main event in a moment, but I I want to talk about this main event a little bit and what could come come from it because it is December. We're already having these conversations about these end-of-the-year awards, right? And right now, in everybody's mind, it is a two-horse race for the fighter of the year. It's Kamar Usman and Dustin Poirier. Personally, I think there could be a third option in play. But, Phoenix, if Poirier wins, is he the fighter of the year over Usman And if Oliveira wins, think about his year, wins the title over Michael Chandler, one of the best fights of the year, a fight that's not being talked about enough, then goes out and defends against Dustin Poirier, a guy that six of eight MMA fighting journalists feel is the number one lightweight in the world. And we are certainly not alone around this world thinking that despite not being a champion, would an Oliveira win put him in this conversation for the fighter of the year?
4: I think you're asking the wrong person here because I'm really biased. I am really biased when it comes to Dustin Poirier because he knocked out Conor McGregor. Okay. And I don't (laughs) like (laughs) Conor. And I just, and if we're thinking about paydays, Poirier, you know, has definitely done that. And it, and it's, again, I don't think it's fair to ask me this question because I, I'm very high on what Dustin has done for this division and and for what he's done as a whole that's bias i apologize
2: well what if all of all right well let me ask you this at least if he admits Oliveira it beats poirier he and, if it. all if olivera beats poirier is he neck and neck with usman like is he in the conversation is this still a two-horse race if olivera wins well listen, I'll, okay authority.
4: so you, logically oh, sorry, go and go this ahead, is yeah. this is oh was that for me
2: yeah, that's for you. So then you don't have okay. any bias.
4: So, so this, is, <laughs> this is because I don't have the stat in front of me. Can you guys answer who fought more? Uh, was it Usman or was it um, Oliveira? Who, who fought more?
2: Uh, Usman.
4: Usman. That answers the question, right? So then it's obviously Kamaru. Kamaru's had more competition. He's dealt with more this year. So that cancels that. That answers that question for me.
2: All right, AK. So I'll, I'll present it the other way for you because you are an unbiased journalist. If Dustin Poirier beats Charles Oliveira, if he goes out there, if he goes out there and just dominates, if, if he stops Charles Oliveira inside of three rounds, is there a chance he's the fighter of the year over what Kamara Usman has done this year? No, no, no.
3: no. It, 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 it'll, be, it'll be a great year. But for me, I, uh, <laughs> and I, know, I know Phoenix really enjoyed the beatings of Conor McGregor. For me, those... <laughs> <laughs> Taking those fights, and again, I will never question uh, Dustin Poirier for doing those. Those fights raised his profile. They made him a lot of money. They, I think, p- from a personal standpoint, they were very satisfying to him and his family. So, in that regard, I'm not, I'm not critiquing that. But I always, I've been saying this probably since they booked the first fight, uh, the, fir- the 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 second, uh, I should say, the second McGregor Poirier fight. That there is a cost to that, and, and it is acknowledging that he is—I felt—fighting backwards in the rankings. Yes, the biggest name in all of MMA, but if we're diving deeper into the competitive aspect of it, then you have to acknowledge McGregor is not up there with the Gs and, and other opponents that you know Poirier could be fighting. I know Poirier has beaten Kechi already, but um, but it, it is—I feel—a step back, a step back from a lot of the guys he could be fighting, and we know why he did it, and that's great. But Oliveira, uh, again, he took care of business with Chandler. If he does it on Saturday, that'll be huge. Uh, so, poor, so, a poor win for me just cannot push him above Usman. I mean, uh, Gilbert Burns, Masvidal, uh, and uh, Colby Covington—just it's it, that—that's an all-time like trio of title defenses, and to get it all done in one year, uh, it's it, absolutely phenomenal. And and uh, to truly, uh, for Usman to truly have just really elevated himself to the next level to the point where he is—I I think the consensus. Uh, pound for pound, number one fighter amongst most uh, sites that do this sort of thing. Certainly, again, on the MMA fighting rankings, um, and and I believe in the UFC's official rankings. So that that to me is tough to beat. And, and the only thing is, shame on both of you for not. Just uh, to you, Mike, for saying it's only a three, two, three horse race. Whatever. There's another horse. There's a fourth horse. His name is Chris Curtis. Okay, he's gonna he's six and zero. Oh, and and if uh, if the UFC matchmakers were not cowards and couldn't find and, and if they couldn't find a way to get him on two sixty nine as he demanded. Uh, he'd be he'd be fighting again and probably going seven and oh in 2020. Uh, so excuse me, 2021, three and oh in the UFC. This is a multiple horse race. Chris Curtis is right up there. I don't care. Titles, Schmeidels, uh, rankings, schmrankings. it's
4: it's more it's more breakout fighter of the year this is is true uh, this is true this is a different different category but he belongs in some category for sure
3: i'm giving him both awards number one on both well we haven't i i don't hold me to that we have not done our official voting yet uh but i i love what chris Curtis has done and i i I don't know if i if i I had to shoehorn mentioning him into this segment and into this show i make no apologies
2: for it Who did you pick in that Chris Curtis-Brennan Allen fight, by the way, in the official MMA fighting picks, AK? I picked Chris Curtis. You you picked your fighter here, right? Both
3: of his UFC fights. I I also picked him to lose to uh, Phil Haas as well.
2: Oh, okay. Fair enough. Um, (laughs) Okay. So here's a more interesting question in my mind, going back to the co-main event before we move on to the rest of the card. Amanda Nunes has been dominant. No doubt about it, AK. Two-division champion, greatest female fighter ever. There's no question about that. You can never question her resume and what she has done. However, she hasn't been a big draw in the UFC. She's running out of options to fight. As Phoenix said, she's a family woman now. She's talked about retiring and all that. And aside from when her fights actually happen, we don't hear, like, anything from Amanda Nunez. And on Wednesday's episode of Ariel Hawani's MMA Hour, he was talking to Chael Sonnen, And presented an interesting question about Amanda Nunes, AK. Yeah, of course, I think we've all said at one point the UFC sort of missed the boat on promoting her a bit. But maybe there's a good chunk of why she's not a bigger superstar to be placed on herself as well for not getting out there more, not doing all this media. Because, I mean – we haven't seen Amanda Nunes on the MMA hour at all, which is shocking to me. I mean, if you're going to get eyeballs upon you and build interest, that's probably the show you want to go on. So this is certainly, this question is not taking anything away from what Newness has done inside the octagon because very few male or female have done it better and nobody in women's MMA has done it better. But AK, although the odds are clearly not with her, can you make an argument that a Juliana Pena title win would be better for the UFC and the overall presentation of this division.
3: Yeah, no, that's that's an easy argument to make. I mean, again, a- any sort of shakeup at the top of the uh, women's bantamweight division will be very helpful because, as much as I mean, a lot of us in the media love Amanda Nunez, As as a- amazing as it is to watch her fight and, and do what she does. She really is not that larger than life personality, and again, to me, that doesn't matter. Now, to the UFC bean counters, to ESPN, to you know, broadcasters and all that, doesn't matter to them. Yeah, it matters a little bit. I'm sure they like Amanda, but the thought of having a new champion, one who is super media friendly, very outgoing, with uh, with certainly getting her her opinions and her thoughts out there, and Juliana Pena, very seasoned uh, as far as on the microphone, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a big thing for that. It's, it's uh, she came up to the Ultimate Fighter, so you know you know the UFC likes her. Um, she she's earned look she's earned her title shot i know uh it's she's coming off one win which isn't (laughs) but uh over a former you know title contender it was an impressive victory um no no one is saying that uh uh, juliana pena is a clear-cut sort of you know number two uh bantamweight in the world but given how amanda has cleaned out the division and who else happens to be currently available that's how it's going to be so yeah I, i i don't i i would not go as far as to say that Dana White and the UFC and ESPN are, let's say, rooting for a Peña win. I I don't think that's the case. Like I said, I do think they like Amanda Nunez. I do think they see the value in having a dominant champion. And if you have the right opponent, Kayla Harrison, um, that's a much, you know, you see dollar signs ahead with her and Amanda Nunez. Sure, she could fight Juliana Peña, too, if Peña went up to 145, but that's certainly not as appealing. And you could have Nunez fight her coming off a loss of 145. But I think it's much cooler for her to still be the two-division champion uh, when that when a say a, a fight with Kayla Harrison potentially happens, so uh, I, I think if I was the UFC team, I think they are leaning towards. Well, we hope you know the Amanda Nunez business continues, but uh, I guarantee they have a plan. Not a not say a plan; they don't plan that far ahead when it comes to the fighters that much. I guarantee that uh, they've thought about what would happen if Juliana Pena wins, and that they're not like and, and that they're not super upset about it. That they're kind of like this does open up new things, open up fights again that Amanda Nunez has already had. Uh, wouldn't it be, you know, interesting for Juliana Pena to face some of the people that Amanda Nunez has beat? Uh, and, and, uh, she'd be a very different kind of champion. And in this case, again, no disrespect to Amanda Nunez, uh, different could be very, very good. So, um, I don't think it's hard to make a case at all that, uh, that a Juliana Pena win could juice up this division and, uh, kind of get the matchmakers, kind of get the matchmakers thinking of, of the possibilities.
2: Yeah, and, and Phoenix, I get it, like you can promote Amanda Nunes as as the the beast, the monster. No one can can knock the queen off the throne, and I get that. The difference between Nunes and Shevchenko is Shevchenko is probably further ahead in her division than even Nunez is at 135. And although Valentina Shevchenko isn't although her last appearance in the MMA hour is pretty fire, she's not like the greatest interview on earth but she goes out and does interviews. Like, we know more about Valentina Shevchenko because she goes out there and does interviews. Like, Kamara Usman has gotten better. Brandon Moreno is just a gift from God in in terms of personality. Alexander Volkanovsky, until recently, not the most riveting interview, but he's been better now, but he's just such a nice guy. He doesn't talk trash. And then, like, like Adesanya is obviously in in a different universe. And then, like, Glover Teixeira, like... At least he goes out and does interviews, but he's just the nicest guy, and he's not going to go out there. Cyril Gunn, nice guy, great at basketball. We know that about him, but he goes out and does interviews. Amanda, we like even after all of these years and the wins that she's put together, outside of her having a child and being a tremendous fighter and just being a super nice woman, we don't know a lot about her. We just don't like she's, and that's why her pay per views don't generate a ton of money now Juliana Pena can be a little cringe at times let's be clear however she goes out there she's got a personality she's got that Latino heat if you will and she can get people fired up and sell this fight Juliana Pena is going to sell this fight whether you like it or not whether you whether you like what she says or not is there is it a wacky question to say that maybe Juliana Pena winning the title on Saturday is a pretty good thing for this division
4: for some people for others i think that there's still things that we possibly want from amanda and that's that shevshanko rematch there's a lot of us that are like you know when it comes to when it comes to thinking about that that fight and and who the women's goat really is between the two but i think that there's like a subdivision of martial arts nerds that ak and i possibly belong to that want to see that i don't know um But yeah, I think any shakeup in a division, regardless of who it is, can sometimes be good because it rearranges everything and it makes new sort of equations and possibilities. Um, So I I just think it's a good, it would be a good thing overall, but yeah, we would still want to see, there's still one or two things from Amanda I think that a lot of us fans still want. And and from what I read today on Twitter, so I don't know how true it is because it was on Twitter... The UFC is talking to Kayla's team and Bellator is talking to to, to Kayla's team. So those are two possibilities for for Kayla that would make it interesting for MMA fans in general, because at some point, whether, and this is the same for Nunes as it is for Cyborg, any person she matches up with, we all go, all right, I mean, I'm going to watch it, but like we, we all literally do that. So to have something, some shakeups either way, to have names that, that propose questions either way is a good thing.
2: See, look what we're doing. We're selling pay-per-views here on Between the Links as far as I'm concerned. Uh, this is a great car. We're going to talk about the rest of it in a matter of moments. I get what both of you are saying. Uh, the, just some interesting storylines heading into this fight. There's no doubt about that. And, of course, I want to see that Chevchenko rematch at some point. And, and by the way, you could put the camera back on me for a second. Why would Kayla Harrison sign with the UFC right now? When the promoter and the president of the organization has come out and basically called your resume dog shit. Mm -hmm. Like why, like why not go to Bellator and fight Chris Cyborg and make all that money and have Bellator treat her like a queen. They put her over on their own show while Dana White is saying they're just dogging her resume. She'll probably make more money in Bellator than she would in the UFC. Why? Are you like, asking I, I, me? Cyborg, no, I'm just saying it in general. Why like okay. if Taylor Harrison, if you're watching right now, why would you sign with the UFC? Why? There's not going to be a featherweight division much longer. The, Felicia Spencer, which would have been like a very good, like opening UFC fight for her, has retired. Who is she gonna fight? I like Leah Letson. But Kayla Harrison versus Leah Letson just doesn't scratch me where I itch. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. We're going to have the same problems. At least with Bellator, like, you can throw it right in there with Chris Cyborg. That's a huge fight, and that's a momentum steal for Bellator. So, again, if you're Scott Coker, you just write a blank check. You hand it to Ali Abdulaziz, fill it in, whatever you want, get her over there. But – I think she ends up staying with the PFL. and Why shouldn't she? But we'll move on to the rest of the UFC 269 card. I had to get that off my chest. The point for round three goes to... I don't know if it's the points that were being made, but I just can't stop looking at you, AK. I can't stop looking at you, so you get the point. It's two to one. Ah. That ensemble is just... I can't <laughs> take my eyes off of you. Fantastic.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All
2: right, so we talked about the big storylines heading into Saturday night. We talked about the two title fights. Let's quickly talk about just the rest of the card. Now, we like to compare these pay-per-views to the rest of the cards throughout the year. And we're going to kind of do that now, but I know there's so many UFC events, it's almost like impossible to remember them all off the top of our heads. But Phoenix, we're going to be here with you. UFC 269, on paper, just top to bottom from the opening prelim all the way to Poirier challenging Oliveira. Where do you grade this one? Is this one of the better ones of the year? Is it better than 268 on paper, 267, maybe some of the past ones? Like, when you look at this card on paper, like, where do you grade it? Where do you put it?
4: And, like, the top five cards of the year, maybe it's five. Like, it's up there, but I, I wouldn't think that it's, like, Amazing or one of the best fights ever. We just come off of a streak of some of the most amazing cards. I mean, I sound like the princess of positivity right now because the the combat sports (laughs) has been killing it, like in general, the last like five or six months. And I, I do get like a little, I'm a little like emotional about it because it's been good on so many different levels for the last couple of months. And I remember when I've been in this since you basically had to watch it on what was called a hot box where you could actually like de-scramble it. You know what I mean? Like that's how long I've been watching MMA. So to consistently say we, one banger card after the other banger card after another, it's, it is kind of special. And then to have other things popping up, different leagues, Bellator doing their thing, boxing has been on fire lately too. It's just been amazing. So It's definitely hard to say, but I will say what's special about this card is getting to see people that we haven't seen uh, come back, mix it up like Emmett, like seeing Cody Garbrandt, uh, you know, coming back at a different weight class and see what happens there. There's like a lot of things that, oh, Dominic Cruz, I almost forgot it was on this card too. (laughs) So there's a lot of like really cool matchups that are going to wind up being the futures of what happens to some divisions and some championships. And that makes it interesting for me
2: what say you ak where do you put this one
3: boy uh again you know what a boon for the ufc to be able to start the year with conor mcgregor have two conor mcgregor fights in the year uh and then also now end on this ridiculously strong run of events excuse me 269 268 267 i don't know how far back you want to go but at least the last three maybe the last four pay-per-views uh plus the fight nights in between just sensational um so it's almost like if you want to be fair, if you want to be fair to the UFC, you can kind of like lump this last run. You really want to, you should really evaluate this quarter. And I, I would think this last quarter of 2021 has been as strong, you could probably compare it to like any quarter that the UFC has ever had. Like it is, it has just been the, the, t- the level of the of the competition in the title fights, uh, the, the, the low key bangers, you know, however, whichever fights you're looking for, uh, you know, fight of the night potential, knockouts of the year, submissions of the year. So much of that has happened, just in the last three or four months alone. And, it, and it's insane. Um, so in that sense, uh, I don't know if I had put this one above 268. Like I said, I'd rather almost look at them as a quarter. I'd almost rather look 269, 268, 267 together and sort of praise the matchmakers and, of course, praise the fighters for this absurdly entertaining product that they have managed to uh, to, to put together. It is, it is really incredible stuff. Um, so, uh, you know, I won't rank this event on its own. I think just bravo... <laughs> Uh, to the UFC and to MMA for producing this level of entertainment.
2: It's been crazy. The prince and princess of positivity out here just waxing poetically. So you mentioned the LKB, a.k.a. the low-key banger. What you got? What's the low-key banger on this card? What's your favorite fight on this card that ain't getting the love?
3: This shouldn't even count. Is this even low-key? Ryan Hall is fighting. What are we doing? I mean, this is (laughs) – this should have – we could have led the show with this. Ryan Hall, and again, if we're gonna pra- look, <laughs> we're praising the matchmakers. This is the kind of person you put Ryan Hall in with. Derek Minner, guys like twenty something career submissions. He's this another submission guy. This is going to the ground. Uh, this will not become a, 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 a you know a low key uh, uh, kickboxing match. This will go to the ground. It might start off that way, a little bit of funky striking. This is gonna go to the ground. And we are going to get to see these guys do what they do best, and specifically Ryan Hall, do what he does better than anybody else in the world. Uh, I am excited for this matchup. The, the, uh, the last fight, which, uh, I mean, really, it's just a blur in my mind. Uh, I'm not even sure it actually happened. Uh, it was regrettable. <laughs> it was regrettable, okay? It's, it doesn't matter. Let's not talk about how it ended. Let's not talk about how we fought. Uh, that fight is essentially, in my mind, a no contest. Uh, really does not need to be discussed further. <laughs> terrible matchmaking um I, I don't know what happened there this is a ryan hall fight and i only feel bad for uh derek Mitter and for derek Mitter's family because he is going to be in rough shape uh heading into <laughs> christmas dinner this year and uh, new year's he may not be able to celebrate he, he uh, i don't like to joke about this sort of thing but he again god knows what condition he'll be in after uh the wizard ryan hall is through with him so i mean that's the quote unquote low-key bang or really the true main event of UFC 269 uh, ryan hall and derek Mitter.
2: well we got two ryan hall fans two big ryan hall fans here in this uh in this little link here phoenix what say you what's the under the radar fight what's the one that you got circled that maybe not be getting the attention that, that it deserves
4: all right. Well, I, I, I do want to give some credit to, to AK there because that's a great fight to bring up, especially if you're a fan of grappling. And I remember uh, um, Minner from from uh, the LFA and Derek's like really scrappy. There might be like a rolling knee bar in that fight. So that that is going to be a fun fight to watch. But I have to bring up that there are two female fights on this card in the flyweight division. And that's like really important to bring up because of how things are mixing up there. And I love the young prospects and I love to introduce some of the MMA fans to some of the stuff that's happening on those prelims. So Erin Blanchfield is a really fun and talented young fighter who's very aggressive, has been studying martial arts since she's like seven years old. She's going against Miranda Maverick, and you may remember her because she last beat uh, Macy Barber, and that was an interesting matchup, and she's got that sort of like farm girl strength. She's just fun. She's explosive. They're, they both got great personalities. They're good interviews. So that may, might shake some things up in the flyweight division as these girls come up the rankings, and I'd I love to see that. Then Jillian Roberts versus Priscilla—I um, cannot pronounce her last name— it's like Cochuera, yeah. So that's a really good matchup, and she's called like the Zombie Girl, so she knows she's gonna continue to come forward. Uh, Dean Thomas trains Jillian. I know how how tough she is, and and it's just two really fun fights that I'm hoping put some light on the new girls that are that are coming up into these divisions.
3: Yeah, and, and might yeah. I add? I love that Maverick Blanchfield matchup. Amazing matchup. It's one of my favorite things on a on an MMA card. It's a, it's a mutant matchup. This was originally two other fighters entirely, which I always love. This was uh, Macy Barber versus Montana De La Rosa uh, originally, mm-hmm. actually, and then uh, De La Rosa withdrew first, and Blanchfield stepped in for her, and then uh, Barber withdrew, and then Maverick stepped in first. So was, I love when they can sort of keep a fight on the card. It's just and it's just, but it wasn't what it was it's, something, yeah. <laughs> it's just something else that's
2: so much fun yeah that's a great fight i'm just gonna throw mine out there now randy costa versus tony kelly i mean that fight is ridiculous of course don't waves. even say it ak don't even say it i don't want to hear any of that new england bias bs come out of your never, mouth right now i would never i would never you've you said this. it is that, was that, fight was, that on Taste? was that was that recorded when i said that yeah that was live we oh. didn't there was no oh, post on, oh, post no, oh, or anything. That's unfortunate. It was on the ranking show. Actually, it was on the ranking show. Oh, yes, Called yeah. me out on the uh-huh. bias. Yeah. Uh
3: huh. That sounds right. Yeah. That sounds.
2: Right. Yeah. Prince of positivity. My ass. Um,
3: <laughs> <laughs> happy holidays.
2: Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> I feel like Clark Griswold right now after the tree. <laughs> uh, but 269 is a great card. I'm very excited for it. Of course, Jose Youngs is out there right now. We have all the Media Day scrums on our YouTube channel, so go check that out. Press Conference coming up later on. And then the weigh-in show on Friday, AK. Get excited. I know that's one of your favorite times of the year. The, the most wonderful time of the year. The
3: most wonderful right. time of the week, Michael. <laughs> that's right.
2: Well, I almost the most wonderful it time of sang the sang week it. thus far is right now the point for round four goes to like a phoenix rising darth phoenix it's two to two holy moly even my dog is happy about that he came and sat next to me why are you soaked well he must have just went outside all right you know how this works ladies and gentlemen One question will decide it all. One minute apiece. And then once that is done, we will turn it on over to the judge, the jury, the executive producer, Casey Lydon, who will render the final decision. There he is, the baddest dash in MMA media. AK, you won the blind draw. And how fitting that you get to make the choice for the knockout round. Do you want to go first? Advantage AK or you want to pass it over to Phoenix this is an interesting choice right now what's say Mike, you
3: I have never felt this close to 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 toppling greatness to reaching the finals which would be the greatest achievement of my career so far so I'm gonna do something and for anyone who watches the show I I, I am going to defer I, I am going to let Phoenix oh. go first I, I wow I, I said I said I'm gonna let Phoenix go first
2: I did not see this coming. Okay. So here's the question. And I think we're paying homage to, I don't know if we asked a similar question like late last year or earlier this year, but we got the greatest 60 second knockout round answer in the history of the show out of Jed Bishu talking about a very similar thing. You might notice You might have noticed, Phoenix, there's one very major topic that we have not discussed that has happened in the combat sports world this week. That is, of course, the fact that Tommy Fury is no longer fighting Jake Paul next Saturday. Tyron Woodley is in to fight Jake Paul in the rematch. And we're going to talk a lot more about that fight and the card and what it all means and what people are looking forward to on next week's show in the finals. So we still may get to hear you wax poetically on this but one of the greatest knockout round questions in the history of the show took place during a recent Jake Paul fight in 60 seconds, Phoenix. What is the best outcome for this Jake Paul Tyron Woodley rematch? Like if you could write it, if you could write a script for how this fight plays out, what's the script you would write one minute on the clock. Your time it's, starts now.
4: It's very rare. Rare. It's very rare in your life that you get a do-over in something that you have done wrong. And Tyron Woodley gets a do-over. And I will say watching that fight ringside was the most frustrating time I've had in part of my career, is not watching Woodley do what he should have done. And if we see more of the same of that, I just feel like in terms of who has more to lose, I actually think Jake does, because a lot of the times people are not expecting Tyron to now go out and do anything. We're just like, ah! with him at this point. But if he can wrong this right, he will make the MMA community very, very happy. But I just don't know if that's going to happen. I hope it does, but we've seen him have an opportunity the next fight around and also not do it. So this is frustrating, but we're going to watch it anyway.
2: Uh, the second chance the rebuttal if you will tyron woodley gets the chance to right the proverbial wrong and hopefully not frustrate ufc fans past and present who are cheering him on ak i don't know if this is the right decision for you to go second I don't know how your psyche is feeling right now. I know you're, you're focused. This could be the biggest 60 seconds of your MMA journalism career right now. A chance to meet your arch nemesis, Jen Mashu, for the undisputed BTL championship. Same question for you. If you could, Martin Scorsese, this rematch between Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley, how would you write it? What is the best case scenario? One minute on the clock. Your time starts now.
3: Tyron Woodley comes out aggressive, looking un- maybe like he came out in the in the Luke K fight, looking like the UFC champion that we know he once was, and and in a perfect world still could be, but isn't. He takes the fight to Jake Paul. He's he's rocking him. You know, he kind of dinged him up once in the last fight, but this is more consistent. He's all over him. He's swarming him. And he's hurting him. But then somewhere in the fourth or fifth round. Jake Paul just uncorks a haymaker and just takes Woodley out. Just a vicious, vicious KO. Now, I know this sounds terrible, but the best case scenario has already happened for Tyrone Woodley, even getting this fight. So what this does is this gives one more big payday for Tyron Woodley, and we can get to see him sail off into the sunset. Maybe not under the circumstances his fans would like, but maybe this signals the end for him. He can go focus on his rap career and enjoy, go look into other opportunities. Meanwhile, we continue along this darkest timeline. We get we still get Jake Paul, Tyron Fury, and we get any we get three more Jake Paul Creek show fights in 2022. And now he can say he knocked out a former UFC champion.
2: Another, yes. There we go. So we have a chance, a potential chance to right the wrong. AK is going a different direction, saying that Tyron Woodley, kind of a best case scenario for both guys. Tyron goes out there, shows some gusto, shows some aggression, but gets bolted by Jake Paul for his troubles. Man, oh man, what a storyline. We now turn it over to the man the myth of legends, the man with the most important decision to make, No draws here. E. Casey Lydon, the judge, the jury, the executive producer. And yes, I saw we got a a nice little special guest cameo from the iconic voice, Esther Lynn walking by in the background. Casey, what say you? Who is going on to face Jed Mishu for the undisputed BTL Championship of the Universe (laughs) next week on MMAfighting.com? AK That was a very
0: good story you told. It was good. It start it started really good. But Oh man. You're facing Phoenix Carnaval. And she's Oh man. It's oh <laughs> this is Oh You're a winner, and still undefeated, Phoenix. Oh, Phoenix doesn't. I thought he had
2: me. Wow.
4: I thought he had me.
2: You
4: said Tyron's rap career, and I was like, you know. Okay, you
0: started good on the story, but then you just kind of you 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 just told this. It was the first fight, except with a knockout. It was. uh, I should have gone first, Casey. I you I think you overthought it, AK. I think you had win, something then I you against- you built and I and went uh,
3: everything I stand for. I went against everything I stand for. As the first <laughs> time ever on the show, I haven't gone I wow. wow. I, th- I thought
0: I thought it was your
2: night, okay? Shocking decision right off oh. the bat. Yeah, before, uh, but, here we go,
3: but before Phoenix has her moment. Uh, can I shout out now that i've joined the other the graveyard of the losers can i shout out my other losers who did great on this competition uh uh my, my my btl tag team champion kristen king uh young alex wedling who's just gonna be a star in this business uh damon martin who's already a star uh jose young is of course as we said on site and uh the, the wonderful james lynch uh i know again it's down to down to the two the two best it's down to truly truly the two best uh phoenix and jed but uh great job by everyone else who who participated
2: I think it is fair to call AK the Rob Font of Between the Links, because although you went up against Jose Aldo, your stock has risen throughout this competition, AK, throughout the year on BTL. Uh, I I thought you had a tremendous year. I thought you stole the show on the Gauntlet episode, the special BTL 50. And here we are, semifinals against the GOAT of BTL in a lot of people's eyes. And, And there you are right there to the very end. And I appreciate your gusto. But now, Phoenix, we turn it on over to you. You now have 30 seconds to say whatever it is you want to say. You know what? You're the undertaker here. You could say you could take as much time as you want, but I assume you have a message for one Jed Michoud who has been saying your name throughout this competition, perhaps maybe even overlooking some of his other competitors, and he admitted that, but this is what he wanted, and now he's going to get it. Is this a be careful what you wish for type of situation?
4: I feel like Jed is gonna come out in like a tuxedo, and I'm supposed to wear an evening gown or something like that for this next matchup. I have no idea. I think, you know, the clothes make him feel better, and that's what he's going for. But whatever it is, Jed, you already know. You already know. You know what I mean? I think you're looking for a stunning upset, and 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 maybe that that keeps you motivated at night. But it's gonna happen, Jed, and and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep winning. That's all.
2: Short and sweet, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So we get a lot going on here on MAFighting.com. Press conference coming up a little bit later on with the notable names from UFC 269. We get the weigh-in show tomorrow morning. We got the preview show tomorrow afternoon. We got the people's pre-fight show right before UFC 269. Then will have the press conference. Then will have the post-fight show. And then AK and I are going to take a deep breath, matchmake, and do on to the next one on Sunday. So all this content is going to be coming your way. So get excited. And then the finals goes down next week to recap 269, get you ready for the final UFC event of the year with Derek Lewis in the main event, by the way, against Chris Dacus. And then, of course... Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley 2 We will be knocking on the door. So a lot to discuss, and a new undisputed BTL champion will be crowned. Join us next week right here for Phoenix for AK, for Casey. I am Mike Hick, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn, perhaps takes you home. Good night, everybody.
1: This has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network.
2: This is Esther Lynn! Ah!
0: <laughs> <laughs>